Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode here on The Daily Grind. Today on the show, we are joined by Nick Velasquez. Nick is the author of Learn, Improve, Master, How to Develop Any Skill and Excel at It. He is also the founder of Unlimited Mastery, and today we talk about how you can learn how to learn the right way in order to develop skills faster. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Grab that pen, piece of paper, sit back, and dive deep in today's interview with Nick Velasquez. Enjoy. Do you ever feel like there's something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you holding you back from achieving your goals? For me, this was my past. I kept using my past as a crutch to not move forward and an excuse. And it wasn't until I started to talk about it with a professional that things really changed and I transformed. And this is why I love this company, BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And you can start communicating with them in under 24 hours. Now this isn't a crisis line, it's not self-help, it's a professional counseling service done securely online. The best part about this is, guys, is that you don't have to worry about driving in a location, sitting in an awkward waiting room, not knowing who you're talking to. Like, you get to pick your counselor. You get to do it from the comfort of your own home, so it's really comfortable and super discreet for you, and you can really open up. What I find when I'm in the comfort of my own home, I open up in ways I never thought I would. And there's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which is definitely not available for you in your local area. And this service is for clients worldwide. All you do is log into your account anytime, send a message to your counselor, and in a short matter of time, you get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. So again, you don't have to sit in the waiting room. You don't have to book a week out. You can do this whenever you're ready. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches and they make it super easy for you and free to change counselors if needed. So if you're not jiving with someone or they're not jiving with you, don't have to worry about this awkward thing. You can just find someone else. So you can spend the time early on to find that person who you really jive with and that's super, I can tell you from experience, it really, really helps. It's more affordable. This is the best part. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and maybe if you don't have cash right now or you're not as flush as you need to be, financial aid is available. I can't tell you the importance of this, guys. This changed my life when I finally decided that I wasn't going to accept all this shit that I kept happening to me. I'm going to deal with my past. And when I dealt with my past, it helped me move forward. And BetterHelp and I want you to start living a happier life today. I want you guys to visit betterhelp.com forward slash grind. Again, that's betterhelp.com forward slash grind. And you can join over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Again, for Daily Grind listeners only, you can get 10% off today your first month by going to betterhelp.com forward slash grind. Again, betterhelp.com forward slash grind. With the holiday season quickly approaching, as you're all stocking up, much like me, on stocking stuffers for friends and families and gifts for your kids and nieces and nephews and your loved ones, 
The thing is, is although Christmas time is a time for giving, it's also a time to give to yourself. Don't forget to treat yourself as well. Take a chance on that business idea or side hustle you've been wanting to get to that you have maybe part-time right now you're trying to take full-time or that idea you have that's just stuck in your head but you haven't done it yet. Today's show is sponsored by Teachable. So whether you have an offline business, you're looking to bring it online, you have a niche or a passion or you have a specialty you'd like to teach others, Teachable is here to help. This platform is amazing. Teachable is a platform that helps independent entrepreneurs, helps creators to build and sell fully customizable online courses and services. This is amazing. There are a ton of different platforms out there that allow you to make online courses, but Teachable makes it super simple. You can join over 100,000 instructors who have transformed their knowledge into a world-class online course and have earned more than $500 million to date. I'm super pumped about this because I'm actually beginning to launch my new online course, which I'm excited to share out with you, um, which is in the works. And I am going to be launching it with Teachable. I'm super, super pumped. Now to help you get started as a special offer for listening to The Daily Grind today, if you visit teachable.com forward slash grind, and you enter your email, you're gonna get a free masterclass. It's gonna walk you through the exact steps to take to create your own online school and start making money today. Again, that is teachable.com forward slash grind. Enter your email for a free masterclass to help you get your online school and online course started. Now, even better than that, at checkout, if you sign up, your first three months are going to be 50% off when you enter code GRIND. Again, that's teachable.com forward slash grind, and then enter code GRIND for 50% off your first three months on Teachable today. Now let's jump into today's interview with Michelle. Uh, just a quick note, I did realize as I was editing this that I didn't have my mic on. I was using the computer audio. It's still clear but not this, which you expect. Otherwise, awesome interview. Enjoy. Well, Nick Velasquez, welcome to The Daily Grind, my friend. How are you? Hey, Colin. Thanks for having me. All of good. Course, How man. are you? I'm fantastic. You know, it's a little cold where I am. I'm sure it's cold up in Montreal as well. But uh, yeah. other than the cold weather thing, life's good. How about yourself? <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. It's hanging in there. It's been tough awesome. for everyone. No doubt, no doubt. Um, Nick, for people being first introduced to you today, uh, don't know who Nick is. Um, if you wouldn't mind kind of explaining a little bit as to who you are and what it is that you do. Sure. So I think that the most important part is that I'm uh, I'm fascinated with learning, how we learn and how to learn. And just a devoted student of mastery, like how we get really good at different skills. And that's been my lifelong passion. I always pick up different hobbies here and there. Um, just learning anything from magic to beer brewing and and stuff in between flying a plane things like that i i'm fascinated by how we can learn and that's just been um my pleasure and my passion for for so many years so that's kind of like the most relevant uh part about me i grew up in colombia south america i live now in montreal but i spend as much time as i can in tokyo i love oh, japan wow. that's the best place to be you know what everyone who goes to japan says the same thing they love it Oh, yeah. The first time I went there, so I put off the trip for a long time because I was afraid that once I got to Japan, I wouldn't want to leave. So I took the trip when I absolutely had to come back back to Montreal. 
And when I got there, it's like, yeah, I understand now. Like this, this <laughs> is my place. This is where I want to be. But it's really hard to to immigrate there. So I just spend as much time as I can. Interesting. So you mentioned like you've always been a, a lifelong learner. You've had this fascination with learning new things. Where did that come from? So I think two different places. One is I attended a very different middle school and high school than most people. So we didn't have teachers. We had tutors. And it meant like we had to study on our own. We had study guides. And if we didn't understand something, then we will come to the tutor and ask. But basically, it was a system based on the teachings from Socrates, the philosopher. So he believed that we came to the world with all the knowledge. We just needed to draw it out through questioning. So hmm. we'd be studying with the study guys that was like, through different questions, getting to the knowledge. And if we didn't understand something, then we would um, ask our tutor. So basically, we would study on our own. We would learn on our own. So learning became a process of discovery instead of something being imposed on us. And I think that's when I got the fascination. I remember being so excited about learning physics. And for most people, going through middle school or high school is a drag. Um, for us, it was just like this fascinating journey, journey into like, discovering different things. So I think that was part of it. And then the other one was my family. They put a lot of value on learning. There was tons of books in my house. My mom was always reading. And if ever I wanted something as a, as a young teenager, and I would ask my dad, hey, could you buy me like this expensive clothes? Could you give me money to buy a car or something? It was always no. But everything that was learning related, it was yes. So like, uh -huh. hey, can you send me to the U.S. to study music, which is going to cost more than everything else I asked before? Yes. Can I go to Canada to study English and French? Yeah. French. Yes. But anything material was a no. So it became like our luxury and our precious things were just based on knowledge. And that stayed he, with me. Did he do that intentionally? Do you know? I think so. Yes, I think so. He, he was very against luxury and just kind of spending money foolishly on, on material stuff. For him, it was always like, just put stuff in your head and, and that's going to take care of it. So for me and my brother, um, like going through university, he would say like, don't go get a job. I know you need the money, but let me help you with that. I need you to be studying and just develop your skills. Then the money would come and you'd be able to like give back to the family or give back to me, whatever I, I help you with. So it was always this emphasis on spend your time on acquiring knowledge, learning skills, and then everything else will take care of its own. Interesting. So uh, for school-wise, what did you go to school for? I studied, first it was international business, and then I graduated um, entrepreneurship and management. But I also attended a couple semesters of uh, music school in, in Boston. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, that was cool. Um, so when you get finished, I mean, when you get finished at school, like what, what, did, uh, what did you want to do, say, from a young age job-wise? Like when you grew up, did you have something in your head of like, I, I want to do this or? Yeah. Oh, my dream was uh, becoming a rock star. Okay. So I, nice. I, play guitar, yeah. I, play, I play heavy metal, heavy and dead metal. And that's what I wanted to do. That's why I went to the U.S. to study music. But when I got there and I saw like these amazing musicians and many of them were, were just teaching music and I didn't want to be a teacher. Not that there was anything wrong with it. I just didn't want that path. Um, I wanted to play on stage and just really be a rock star. Yeah. Um, so I figured, look, if this doesn't happen the way I want it to happen, which is very unlikely. Uh, then what am I going to do for money? How, how am I going to survive? So I decided to switch paths and say, like, let's take care of my finances and then play because I love it, not because I have to. So that led me to study, like, what's the fastest, easiest way to make money? 
And in that research, like it kept coming up that most wealthy people either made their wealth on real estate or they held it in real estate. So yeah. I, figure, I guess real estate is the path. <laughs> and that's how I ended up in real estate. And that's just what I do for a living. But I have no identity tied to real estate investing. It's just what I do to make money. But I don't consider myself as a real estate investor. I see myself more as a writer or just as a learner mostly. Um, it's just what supports everything else that, what, that I do. Very cool. So how did you get into real estate? Like, did, did you get a license to become a real estate agent or you just go right into investing? No, because I, I wanted to go into investing. I didn't want to be an agent. Um, so it was my family lent me a startup capital and then I did my first flip. So I bought this building. It was a small building here in Montreal, not that expensive on a bad part of town. Renovated it, sold it, then used those proceeds to buy a bigger one and a bigger one and a bigger one. But the goal was always to invest for the long term. So buy and hold, which you're getting the cash flow every month because otherwise you're pursuing the new deal every time. That's what I wanted to avoid. I wanted to start building assets so one day I wouldn't have to work again. And so I could spend time on other things, writing and playing guitar and all the other stuff. That's kind of how I came about. Very cool. So you get this. Uh, so real estate kind of takes care of the finances, right? Like this is yep. this makes this makes you kind of whole, so to speak. You don't have to worry about money. Um, you talk about. I mean, you learned. You said you learned how to fly a plane. At one point, I was learning to fly a plane. I stopped, so I didn't end up getting my license. But the way that happened is, I was with a friend one day, and the plane is passing by, and she's like, "Well, it must feel really cool to fly a plane." I go like. Yeah, it must feel really cool. And then next week I sign up for flying lessons. <laughs> that's just my personality. I'm, I'm very curious about things. And that's coming like from high school and from my parents of all, always learning new things. And I'm not afraid of picking up a book and just learning because that's how I learned everything throughout my life. Even university, when I had to take classes, that was boring. I felt like it was too slow. I'm used to learning on my own. Like I can have some sort of direction, but the bulk of the learning I can do on my own. So um, that's how I end up like picking up different hobbies and just uh, taking on whatever interests me at that point. Interesting. So what what's the most interesting thing you've learned? Like if you were to, like most interesting thing you've kind of dove into? Um, well, a couple. I mean, playing guitar was so much fun because uh, I grew up listening to Metallica and the thing is, back in South America, it's all salsa and just tropical music. So when I, one time that my brother brings this Metallica CD and I hear James Hetfield screaming, like, what is this guy screaming about? Like, I want that. And they inspire me to learn how to play. So as you're learning to play the instrument and now you play your favorite songs, it's like now you're creating the magic too. So before it's like this ethereal thing, like, how did this song come about? And now you're making those sounds. Now you're creating those songs. So I think that's been the most fulfilling one. And then learning to write. So in the process of writing a book, I fell in love with the craft of writing. And it's funny because when I look back in my life, I've always been writing. I just never knew how much it meant to me. And for a lot of people, like someone trying to develop their passion or find what they really like, Many times you've been doing it for a long time. You just haven't realized that that's the path and, and accepted it. Interesting. So you mentioned this book. T tell us about the book. So, yeah, the book is about how how to learn. And it's how to learn, improve, and master any skill. So the idea is I put together the principles and strategies to learn more effectively. 
And this came about just for those same reasons. I'm always, always being very curious, always picking up new hobbies. And I was frustrated by how slow the process can be. It's like, why takes me so long and so much effort to go from knowing about something to knowing how to do it. So one thing is knowing about one thing, one skill, for example, you may know a lot about painting, but you might not know how to paint. So then it's going from that knowing about something to then knowing how to do it. So that took me into these many years of researching and trying to find the book that I ended up writing because I couldn't find exactly what I needed. It's like, what are all, what are these techniques? And mostly it's just science-based, like, oh, we did this study and then we found that we learned this way. And it was just trying to put everything together. And I was trying to build a manual for the rest of my life. It's like, this is what I'm going to use to learn anything that I get my attention on. Cause there's so much I want to learn, but it's yeah. so little time. And after a couple of years, I, everything was taking shape. It's like, okay, I'm getting done with the manual. And I figured if I'm going to solve this problem for myself, I might as well just do it for everyone else, turning it into a formal book. But had I known the amount of work that was ahead of me in turning that thing into a, a, an actual book, I don't know if I would have done it. It was just, uh, it was pretty <laughs> difficult. Yeah. How long, how long was the process from like start to finish? So that's a, a multi-answer question, uh, question or answer, I'd say, because so from the moment I had the idea and I started like researching and then finished writing the book, that was about eight years. So it took about four or five years to research and then another three to four to write. Although there was like a year or two in between where I wasn't writing much, but the idea is still, still yeah. there still behind it. The other part of the, um, the answer, and this is what most Japanese artisans would answer when you ask them, how long does it take you to make like, let's say one, one pot uh, in pottery. And they will look at you strange and be like my entire life. That's how long it takes because everything led to this place for me to be able to make it. Mm -hmm. So in a way it took my entire life to write this book. And in, in many different ways, all the learning that I've done and all the experiences that I've had, are there in the book, like subconsciously or consciously, because I cannot be someone else when I write it. It's just me. It's all my experiences, everything that I lived, everything that I've learned. So in reality, it took my entire life to be there. And when you think about it that way, it's kind of, it's sad in some point because the book stopped growing with me. The moment it was published, like it won't grow with the rest of my life. It Now it's on hold. So it reflects my life up to that point. And now everything that comes after will have to go into another book. But yeah, that's the other part of the answer is it takes an entire life. It's it's all of you. It's everything you've lived from the moment you were born until now. That the way you see the world, everything, it's in those words. Yeah, it's fascinating because uh, from some of the most successful people that that I've interviewed, and I know for sure, I think one of the most important skills you can have is how how do you how do we learn faster? Because especially if you're in business and when you're trying to do things like stuff's coming at you so quickly, you need to be able to learn new skills and acquire new skills and then implement them. What are some, what are some things that you feel like have, have really, you know, because obviously you've written this book, you're a true expert. What are some things that can help someone? Like someone is looking to jump into a new business idea or someone's looking to, to acquire a new skill, whether it be a, a game or whether it be whatever. Like how, yeah. how, how do you actually go about learning that in the most effective way? Sure. So the first thing is everything can be learned. So we have this amazing power to learn and that's the result of everything we have in our society. So everything we've created and everything we've built 
is because of our ability to learn. Um, so the first thing is just looking beyond that illusion. Sometimes we see someone doing something and like a professional, you see a great quarterback playing a championship game or you see a musician on stage and you think I could never do that. And the thing is you're only seeing the end result of many years of practice and developing that skill. So and true. because we don't see the process, we think that is beyond our capabilities. So the first thing is just seeing behind that illusion and realizing that you are also capable of developing those skills. So I do the analogy of like watching a magic illusion. You see a magician vanishes a card, makes it reappear in an impossible location. The spectators, we see that and we're amazed by it. But if we could pick behind the illusion and see the mechanics behind it, we'd realize that that's something that we could also do through the study and practice of sleight of hand. Yeah. So that's kind of the first thing is realizing that no matter how glamorous it is, like the people you see that you admire, yes, you're only seeing the end result because that's what attracts attention. That's what sells tickets. That's what everything else. But uh, there is a process behind it that anyone can replicate. And the book is about that process, how we learn, how we improve, how we master any skill. So the first step is that is realizing that you can learn any skill. It is beyond our capability. Um, then the second part is just realizing that mistakes is a big part of the process. So many times when we get into something new and we don't get it right away, we think, oh, well, this is not for me. I just don't have talent. Um, this is not my area. I'm, I'm just going to change. And no, it's, it's a long-term process. So an, a fast or a slow start doesn't determine how far you're going to go. Mm -hmm. And it, like we put a lot of emphasis on talent and it doesn't really play that much of a role. There is this famous um, research from Kay Anders Ericsson. He's an expert on expertise and expert performance. Um, he's the one that uh, ran the research behind what then was popularized as the 10,000 hour rule, which is, which is a misconception and we can talk about it after. But basically, um, after studying like many peak performers, they realized talent doesn't really play that much of a role. Yes, it can give you an edge, but the bulk of expert performance is on the practice, the determination, the effort that you put behind it, and the method you're using also to develop your skill. So, of course, many times people bring up the example of basketball. Well, if you're not tall, um, that you can't play for the NBA. Yeah, but it doesn't mean you can't be a great basketball player. Yes. So, unfortunately, basketball has only one division, but we see in fighting sports that we have weight classes. So if we had height classes for basketball, you could have amazing players at any height. They would just belong to different divisions. True. So the game is screwed towards like people that are tall, but these actual skill of basketball, dribbling, shooting, all those things have nothing to do with height. So height gives you an advantage, but it's not the bulk. And even if that were the case, the tallest players would be the best ones. And that's not They still aren't. Yeah, now they're <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So you had mentioned, and uh, I mean, this has been driven into probably all of us, including myself, is in order to become an expert in something, you need to put 10,000 hours into it. Uh, you're going to de debunk this, aren't you? I, I'm, I'm interested to hear it because I would love it. <laughs> sure. So the original research is from Kay Anders Erickson. Uh, he's a professor at Miami University, I believe. I mean, they were doing this long study on musicians in Germany, I think it was. So it's a music school. And they were looking at violinists and their practice habits. And they realized that the best musicians at that school had done about 10,000 hours of deliberate practice by the time they were 20 years old or 19 years old. 
So a couple of things there. One, it was not done across different skills. So that's one thing. Like mm -hmm. learning to play violin might be different than you learning how to juggle or other things. Um, the other one is that it was not meant to determine a like a mastery timeline. It was an average that was reported. Like, oh, the best musicians have done about 10,000 hours of deliberate practice by the time they were 19 or 20 years old. Yeah. The other one is they were not masters yet. So that's a, that's another important point. Like they were the best in their school and most likely on their path of becoming great musicians, but they were still on the path to getting there. Gotcha. And what Ericsson wanted to show is like, look, even with his innate abilities or whatever we think is like a talent or an, a, a, like a facility for a, an area, like playing an instrument, even for those people, they have to put a great amount of practice to develop their skills. Had not that been the case, then you would have seen some of the best musicians that had not done so much practice. So he was trying to prove, look, even if you have an ability, like an innate ability to do something, if you had like that advantage, it's not enough. You still had to put a ton of practice behind it. So the point most importantly that he wanted to make is there is, there is like a whole world of possibilities out there for you to take on. And they can, you can't take them on through delivery practices. It's about how far delivery practice can take you. Hmm. Not about how long it takes to get there. Yeah. So he was not trying to prove it takes 10,000 hours. It's like with 10,000 hours of delivery practice, you will get better regardless of talent or anything else. You will be really good at what you do. Unfortunately, like that got popularized into it takes 10,000 hours to master any skill because it's a marketable idea. It's easy to say. And then a couple of uh, high-profile authors put it out there and it just got out of hand. So one of them, um, and I only mentioned it by name because he did come out and he said, look, um, there is more nuance to, to how I presented this, this study, but it was Malcolm Gladwell on Outliers. So he okay. talks about the 10,000 hour rule and he's mentioning Ericsson's research. And I was watching one of his interviews and he said, yeah, like I mentioned it this way, but then people took it the wrong way and now it's out of my hands so to his credit not really his fault now it's out of his hands it's unpopular belief now but it's just not true and also another major difference there that is important to mention so delivery practice is not the same as repetition so many many people think and since you mentioned like this is your field like going to golf and they're just like i'm just gonna hit this ball balls for the next four hours yeah it's not about repeating. It's about trying to get better. It's about pushing yourself and then using proven methods of like teaching and like learning. How am I hitting this ball? Like, am I trying to do better? Or I'm just hitting it. Yeah. So if I sit down and I play the same song, already know how to play. And I play that for four hours. I'm not becoming a better musician. I'm just repeating what I know. That's performing. It's very different than practice. So that's the other major point to discuss. Delivery practice is not the same as repetition. So when you... When they talk about the 10,000 hour rule, it's also 10,000 hours of deliberate practice, not repetition. Gotcha. That makes a bunch of sense. Do you feel like when it comes to, to practice, what you noticed is, is you need to, you feel like the high performers work more on their weaknesses? I think it's too far. So uh, the, there's always this popular belief of focus, focus on your strengths and kind of don't, don't think about the weaknesses. I think that's wrong. And from some high performers that I've, that I've studied, they also work very hard on their weaknesses. So one example is Michael Jordan. He was terrible at defense and he spent a ton of time making it better because you can't be an amazing player if you have 
these big holes. And the most evident way or the most evident example to put here is MMA. So if you were a follower of the early days of UFC, totally. I would bring in boxers who are really good at striking, but have no idea how to fight on the ground. Smoked. It was, it was over. It was yeah. over. So the idea of like focus on your strengths would be like kickboxing. <laughs> and then the focus on your weaknesses is like, look, they're killing you in the ground. You at least have to learn how to grapple. So it's not like you're trying to turn your weakness into a strength, but you need to plug in those holes because otherwise the whole thing comes down. Yeah, it's it's being prepared. It's being prepared for every situation, right? It's knowing that like there's you're going to be get thrown at a bunch of different things, and you have to learn how to just because even in life you're going to get thrown different different obstacles. You need to be able to learn how to deal with those obstacles effectively. Yes. So, in my opinion, it is important that we work on our weaknesses, not just focusing on on improving the strengths even more. If if cool. your weakness is completely hindering whatever you're doing, you have to take care of it. Got you. So, I mean, you went through this process of writing this book for eight years. I mean, it's taken up a, a good chunk of your time. You really put a lot of work into it. Um, what are you now focused on in terms of like new skills for yourself? Like what are, what are some things that you're excited about right now? I'm still learning more about writing because I, I fell in love with the craft writing the book. And the way I explain it is that I, I never loved hating something so much. It was painful <laughs> every day. But that's when you realize you like it. It's, it's, like, it's challenging. And we can talk here about the idea that many people ask, how do I find my passion? And I don't think you find a passion. You develop a passion. I agree. It's kind of like with finding a partner. First, you have immediate attraction. But then love is developed. Like you have to work in a relationship to build something meaningful. So many times it's just, just start whatever your attention grabs you. But as you go deeper, you'll find, oh, this is kind of my thing. I'm developing this relationship and I've been doing it with writing. So I try to write some short stories and things like that, but mostly for me. And I wanted, so I'm focused now on fiction writing just because I want to improve the craft in general. So I'll be able to tell better stories for the next book. Hmm. So the one that I wrote and I put out, there are not that many stories. There are a lot of examples and analogies. I wanted to do kind of like the teaching Carl Sagan style. I don't know if you're familiar with him. So he was the original Cosmos. Okay. And Or Stephen Hawking. Um, so the way they teach is mostly through analogies, not necessarily a lot of stories. Now, if you're a Robert Greene who wrote The 48 Laws of Power and he's an amazing storyteller, yes, tell stories. But for me... I wasn't a great storyteller and I just focused on the material. It was so dense and there was so much to say that if I had included a lot of stories, it would have been a 600 page book. Yeah. So I took a different route, but I do want to get better just uh, having my writing kind of more energetic. But I spent still a lot of time, a couple of years learning to write better because I knew that was going to be a uh, an important point for the book. So I had finished a couple of drafts and then I read them. I said, no, I need to become a better writer. So I set out to read more about writing, read a ton of books on it, practice more, and then rewrote the entire book because it needed to feel like more energetic. So it moves quickly and all these other parts. That is the craft of writing. It's not enough that you know your subject. It's also yeah. how it's being packaged, right? How, uh, like, do you have a like a coach or a mentor that helps you? Is that a part of the process for you for your learning? Is that something you recommend? Well, I do recommend it. I wish I had one. Um, in a way, they're 
different kinds of mentors that you can have. A book can be your mentor. Like mm -hmm. you're having a discussion there with someone that is, is teaching you about something. So my favorite writers are my mentors. So I study how they, how they develop a chapter is like, well, how is like this train of thought being developed, how they're organized their book and things like that. And also you have your editor who is, if you have a good one, it's going to be of great help. Sometimes you need someone to tell you this sucks. It's horrible. And you, you have to do it again and you'll yeah. fight it at the beginning. And then it's like, maybe this person is onto something. Let's, let's rewrite it and go a different route. So many times you have to do that and you have to edit and edit and edit. And sometimes it's painful because you have your darlings. It's like Stephen King says, you got to kill your darlings. It feels like murdering children, but it must be done. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, you brought up something and, and this is what I'm curious about. Like when you're learning a new skill, sometimes you, you overcome like an obstacle, something like something's in your way or you're getting, you're having trouble like getting over that step, right? Like maybe you've hit a plateau in what you've learning. You, you just can't seem to, to go the next step. Do you have any techniques for getting over that plateau? So here we combine both points because yes, a mentor is key for that. You need someone that is going to look at your technique and say, there's something wrong here. Mm -hmm. Um, so there are different kinds of plateaus that you can hit. One is just a, a regular plateau, is like consolidation plateau, which means you leveled up and it's going to take a while before that settles in and kind of ingrains in your neurology. Like, okay, now I know how to do this move and now I got better. And But your body needs to adapt to that higher level. So that's normal. We all have consolidation plateaus. Another one is the, um, sometimes it's called the okay plateau, but it's really the I'm not trying hard enough plateau. Is when you stop pushing yourself. You're not getting better because you're not trying. Yeah. And that happens a lot. So in bodybuilding, they have this idea of the progressive overload. You try to lift heavier than last time. And yes, it's going to feel uncomfortable, but that's the point. You need to put your muscles through that discomfort and push harder. Otherwise, you'll stay in the same weight yes. forever. So that's the other point. That's the other plateau is the okay plateau. You're not really trying to improve anymore. You're not putting as much effort. And we all know if we take an honest look at what we're doing, we know when we're slacking. Yes. Then the third kind of plateau is the technique plateau. Is you're doing something with a specific technique and it can't take you any farther. So a good example is Tiger Woods. He redesigned his swing a couple of times. Mm -hmm. And he said, I did it because the one I had it was not going to take me what I needed to go. And he got worse before, before he got better. So that's the hardest plateau to overcome because you're going to lose your gains for a while. You're going to be bad before you get better again. So it takes a lot of trust, trust in your team and your coach and yourself to say, this is not good enough. And I'm going to have to take a few steps back if I want to go even farther. Mm. So that's the hard one. And it takes a lot of humbleness. Um, ideally, you would have a coach that can tell you, look, you're there's something wrong with your technique. That's why you can't get any any farther. Weightlifting is a great example. If it's something wrong with your technique, you're going to reach a plateau in how heavy you lift. And unless you change your technique and make it better, you can't lift heavier. Got you. Is there a, a structure you set? So say someone's trying to, to, to learn a new skill. Is, is there things that you put in place first? So before you just go ahead and you start to learn, is there like, you know, focus on, you know, make sure you have this in line, make sure you have this in line, make sure you have this person here. Like, is there planning that goes before the actual learning? Does that make sense? Sure. So let's go, let's go through the entire process okay, cool. um, uh, quickly. And if there's a part that you want me to dig deeper on, perfect, we'll do that. 
So for me, the first step is exploring. If you're going into a new skill, you first need to do some exploration. This is talking to people that are already doing the skill, practitioners, teachers, you want to know what you're getting yourself into. Because sometimes things look very glamorous on the outside. And then when you go in, it's like, oh, I didn't know yeah. this is what was needed. Writing is a good example. People imagine writing is you go out to a cabin and you're just like scribbling away and it's so good. No, writing is really rewriting. It's editing. Mm. That's when the craft comes in. The first draft, the, the writing when you're just fr frantically just going through the words and trying to get the whole thing done, that's nothing. That's a very small part of the process. The really hard part comes in rewriting, 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 editing, cutting, improving. And that's not always fun. Um, so for someone that is looking to go into writing, they need to know that beforehand. Yes. Same for me when I was taking the flight, uh, flying lessons that we talked about earlier. I thought that flying was going to give me a sense of freedom and just being with nature and all this stuff. And that was replaced with careful planning, following instructions, and the <laughs> weather analysis and all those things. Like, it's still fun, but that's not what I was looking for. On the opposite side, I always thought that I was not going to like surfing. I almost drowned twice as a kid. And so I have this acquired respect for water. And then when I did it for the first time, I thought you're just catching waves and catching waves and catching waves. It's like, no, you're just there in nature. You're just hanging out. And when you feel that wave coming, then you take it and you have that thrill. So you had like all these components that I didn't know were part of surfing. To me, it was always like, you're just getting ready for that wave. And no, sometimes you're just there. You're just feeling the ocean and, and yeah. getting ready and hanging out, being in nature. So that part was a lot of fun. I was not expecting it. So first step is you need to explore. You need to know what you're getting yourself into. Same with music. You see a musician on stage and like, I want to do that. Well, take a look at the amount of hours they spend on solitary practice. So true. Playing scales. Don't even sound nice. It's boring. It's annoying. It's mechanical. So you need to be prepared for those things. So that's one. Explore. Then the first step to me is understanding. So whatever thing you're trying to learn, the first thing is you need to understand what you're trying to learn. Now, the example that I use there is... Imagine you're learning jujitsu and you're going to be learning an arm bar. So first you need the explanation, like what the hell am I trying to do? Yeah. Like, okay, so you, you're in, in full guard and then you're going to be doing this move and this comes first, this comes second, this comes third. They're like, okay. And we're doing it in this sequence because of all these other contingencies. Like you want to um, keep your foot on the opponent's hip so he doesn't pass your guard. Like, oh, okay, got it. So you're making this, just rational understanding of what you're trying to do and why you're doing it the way you're going to be doing it. Second step is memorizing. So one thing is you understand something, but because you understand it doesn't mean you memorized it. And this happens a lot with books or seminars. People go to a seminar, they read a book. It's like, yeah, I understood everything. And then a couple of days later, like, what was it about? And yeah, I can't really. tell. Yeah. There are two different processes for the mind. It. Yep. Yes. Understanding is just making logical sense of information. Memorizing is when you internalize that information so you can use it later. So a good example here is, let's say you have a book on first aid and you read it, you understand all of it. Great. But then you're on the street and someone needs first aid. If you don't remember the steps, it's useless. Like it doesn't matter if you remember where in your bookshelf is the book and which chapter you need to review. At one point, you need to internalize that information. So going back to the jiu-jitsu example, you need to memorize those steps. It's like, okay, first I hold on to the arm, then I put my, uh, my foot on his hip, and then now I'm going to be turning, all these different things, and the sequence. 
And once you memorize it, it's going to be easier when you're going to practice, which is the following step. Now you practice the move, practice, practice, practice. And that's the bulk of learning anything. It's going to be practice. We can't avoid it. There is no shortcuts. Everyone has done it. Even the so-called geniuses from history like Mozart or uh, Leonardo da Vinci, they all had to practice their craft. No one skipped the process. No one does, and we won't either. So okay. <laughs> it's just hard to think about them in that light, but Mozart had to learn his, his scales like yeah. everyone else. <laughs> uh, we don't imagine it, but he had to go through the process, same as all of us. So some people go through the process faster than others, but no one escapes it. No one, no exception ever. Interesting. So that that's practice. After practice, we go into bridging, which is it's one thing to know how to do something in isolation. In this case, we're talking about the armbar to do it in a practice environment. And a different thing is to doing it in a fight. Mm -hmm. True. So that, that's too big of a jump and we need to bridge that gap. So that step is called bridging. And what you do is you start to do the same kind of practice, but you simulate being in a real environment. So you say to your opponent, hey, just uh, struggle a little bit more. Like, don't let me do it so easily. Move a little bit faster and things like that. So you're adding difficulty trying to kind of recreate what it would be the performance scenario. Yes. And then the last step, which is not directly a learning step of the process, but it does help with learning in different ways, is the performance. Now you're doing the move in an actual, um, while well, you're rolling, while you're having like a, a sparring, sparring match or an actual uh, fight. So at this point, you're not actively trying to learn. It's supposed that you already learned the move. Now you're just executing. But the repetition that happens during performance solidifies your learning and also tells you where the holes are that you need to go back to practice. But when you're performing, you're really just using what you've really learned. Yes. So that's the thing that people need to make that distinction. Like, because you're, you're playing on stage, your guitar, that's not practice, that's performance. <laughs> it helps you to see where you need to put on more practice. So in a way, yes, it does help the learning process, but it's not a direct learning step. It's indirect. So oh, that's kind of how you go about any skill. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it is important to like, you got to put yourself in those pressure situations and like, how does your body react and wh where am I weak? And then you can kind of go back and, and start to, to fix those areas. But yeah, I see what you're saying. Totally. Exactly. And there we go into the next phase, which is improving. So now we're not talking about learning Now we're talking about improving mm -hmm. and improving is all about feedback. So you're taking all the pieces. What am I doing wrong? Where can I improve? What did I do right? So it's keeping like very detailed, either a journal or just some kind of record of what, you, what you've what you been doing, how you're doing it. So another example for from Tiger Woods, and I'm bringing this up because I know you told me you, you're in yeah. golf. Now you said that he keeps good records of every single game he's ever played. And he needs that to go back to practice and realize where he made mistakes and what he needs to work on. Uh, that's really important. And even our heroes on the best performers, they need to do it. Yeah. Like we don't see it because no one wants to see people practicing. We want no. to see performance and we want to see it at, with high stakes. We want to see the Super Bowl. We don't want to see someone just throwing a ball at nothing. <laughs> but that's where you build the skills. Everyone and at this point, if you're, yes. If you're looking to go into a skill, learning something new, then that's the part you have to look at the practice. You need to move beyond the glamour of the performance and now looking how, what is the process behind it. Now you become a student of that craft. I love it. So for people listening, want to grab a copy of that book because I know myself and so many people, I mean, 
that's it. You, you, we have to learn new things and we have to learn new things faster and do it properly, especially if we're doing our businesses and, and in life. So where's the best place someone can grab a copy? Uh, the easiest would be Amazon, I guess, but it's everywhere books are sold. So it's called Learn, Improve, Master. How Beautiful. to develop any skill and excel at it. Awesome. Well, I'll share the uh, the Amazon link in the show notes to make it super simple for everyone. And Nick, can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast and sharing your wisdom and insight here with the audience today. Thanks for having me. You got it, man. Appreciate it. And there you have it for today's interview, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, hit that subscribe button. Share this out with your friends. We'll be back next week with another episode. Until then, everyone, keep grinding.